Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Business Advisor brought to you by CG Tax Audit and Advisory. Thanks again for tuning in and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, for more information about CG Tax Audit and Advisory, head to cgteam.com. Who doesn't love a good handshake, right? It's a great way to say hello, to say goodbye, to offer congratulations, and oftentimes to come to an agreement on something that's related to your personal or business life. But sometimes a handshake just isn't enough. You need things written down on paper. And that's an important aspect of any business relationship. To talk about the importance of written agreements, we're joined by Len Garza. Len is a corporate attorney focusing on startup companies, emerging companies, and the middle market. He helps structure businesses to optimize growth and protect their assets. Len also has extensive experience in drafting and negotiating a wide variety of business agreements, including those with shareholders, vendors, clients, partners, and more. He also handles other types of transactions, including real estate, banking, and finance, and wills and trusts. Well, let's jump right into it, Len. Why are written agreements so important for a business? Well, Scott, I I firmly believe that relationships are key to business. They're the glue that holds companies, industries, and and really whole economies together, right? So uh, when you're doing business, whether you're you're a big company like Apple, Amazon, whether you're a medium-sized or small business owner or a solopreneur, no matter what, uh, at the end of the day, it's about people dealing with people. So when you're doing business, at some point, uh, the discussions between you and another person or a group of people are going to come to a situation where you're going to have to get agreements on certain things. So it's very important once you move past the preliminary discussions and uh, to, to make sure that you crystallize uh, what you and the other side uh, is agreeing to through written agreements. So, you know, some people say, I hear this quite often um, from, from business owners or many new business owners, why do we need written agreements? I trust the other side. We have a longstanding relationship uh, and both of us are, are looking to make this, you know, win-win and, 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 and really uh, help each other out in this. Neither of us are looking to take advantage of each other or anything like that. And, and I say, look, that's great. Trust is, is huge in any relationship, including a business relationship, but trust is not enough, right? So when we're talking about not getting something in writing, we're talking about verbal agreements. Think of, think of discussions that you've had with just about anybody, right? Everybody's busy, memories fade. Uh, when you're talking to somebody else or a group of people, one's person's version of discussions uh, may may be different than another person's. Uh, they may just be hearing two different things on on important things you're talking about. So you think you're talking about apples to apples, but but it's not actually that. Uh, it may not actually be that, and and you won't find out the 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 dissonance in what you and the other person were talking about maybe until later on when you talk about that again, or or a potential conflict comes up in uh, in that situation. So to give you an example uh, of this, I was 
I was working with uh, two sisters earlier this year, and and they had been running the, the a a sh- a shipping and uh, delivery logistics business for over thirty years. They took over the business when their when their father had been running it. He had a he had a surprise heart attack uh, in his mid fifties, and all of a sudden, his two grown sisters were the successors and foisted into this role. And you know, they customers, vendors, everybody called them to the dream team, and everything mm-hmm. was going great until it wasn't right so so the personal personal relationship starting getting started getting in it got to the point where one of the sisters who was my client had reached out to me and said Len you know this is getting toxic my heart's not in the business anymore I want to do something else I want to buy out well they did have uh, a, a a a shareholder agreement between them but it was 20 years old um, it was only I think it was like three to five pages five pages at the most uh, and it didn't address a lot of important things uh, specifically things that were going to be relevant to what my client wanted uh, specifically how she was going to exit the company um, how to revolve how to resolve disputes uh, okay so she's exiting the company what are her shares worth how do you value that none of that was addressed in the agreement so although they did have agreement an agreement it was like they had a they never had an agreement at all because the agreement didn't address very important things specifically that we were talking about with her leaving so you know, she thought initially uh, that that this was something we were going to be able to negotiate and write up and get her out uh, in like 30 days. And and I had to set her expectations. And, and I said, look, you know, we uh, the agreement doesn't lay out a process for you getting out of the company and you coming in and saying you want out um, and saying, oh, look, my my shares are valued at uh, let's say, you know, $5 million. And your sister may say, wow, where did you get that number? Your shares really, by my estimations, are only at uh, $1 million, maybe tops 1.5. Uh, and they did actually come to, uh, that actually is what happened, where they were very par- far apart on valuation. So definitely, it, it wasn't all wrapped up in 30 days. It actually took eight months to wrap up. Uh, and and there were multiple times where both sides were threatening litigation against the other, suing your own sister, taking them to court. And we were able to, to walk them both back off the ledge there and continue negotiating to get to the end of the finish line. But you're talking about eight months of tension uh, you know, family strife from this. They have a big family. So the, obviously the family heard about this and was causing a lot of tension there. Uh, oh, and on top of that, the cost, the legal fees for each of them uh, ended up going anywhere from 60 to $70,000, not total for each of them, both of the sisters, each of the sisters and for the company as a whole, because the company was represented by its own separate corporate counsel. So it's a lot of cost, a lot of confusion that could have been in avoided uh, had they had a skillfully drafted written agreement at the very beginning. So um, is it fatal? Can it be resolved? If you don't have a written agreement, potentially it can, but you're you're talking about a lot more expense and there is always the risk that you could end up that in that worst case scenario, that, that uh, lack of it could be something that sinks the company or uh, embroils you in you know, a lot of months or potentially years in litigation.
Yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer that no negotiation is done until it's in writing. Uh, you know, regardless of what you agree to or say something in a conversation until it's written, you know, I always think that things are open. So let's say you have some sort of an agreement and terms that are agreed upon maybe in an email or, or in a text message. Is that enough or do you need a formal agreement? Well, it's it's not enough, Scott. And, and I can see where some people say, uh, you know, part of me wants to say, well, hey, uh, you know, some people may say, look, we have something in writing. Isn't that isn't that better than nothing? That's better than all verbal. Uh, maybe, maybe not. It largely depends on the specific situation. So, um, you know, it's important to distinguish. There's a big difference between having writing something down, whether it's an email or on the back of a cocktail napkin mm -hmm. versus crafting a well-written enforceable contract that actually protects your business. So, so let, let's talk about, you know, specifically um, an example that I'll get to in a second, but, but in short emails, text messages, uh, things like that, uh, they may seem exact to the drafter and to the other person that you're drafting it to, but often once you really parse and get into it, many of them just leave too much room for interpretation uh, and they can be vague. Uh, whereas you don't mean them to be vague. Once you delve a little bit further into it, um, um, or, or an attorney or potentially a court down the road, uh, it could be something where, where what we call latent uh, latent vagueness comes up and latent in, in that, hey, you look at it right now and you don't see the vagueness, but once you get, once you would apply it to a specific uh, factual circumstances, you see, oh, it's not, it's not as clear as we originally thought. So for example, I have, um, I have a New Jersey client and they were working with a company out in California and the company was a startup tech software company. They were doing enter enterprise resource planning, database planning, uh, things of that sort. And, and, and I was representing the CEO from the New Jersey company. And the, the CEO from the California company, those two CEOs had a longstanding prior relationship. They'd gone to business school together uh, many years ago. And, and they both went to, to work for companies, uh, run companies on opposite sides of the country. Uh, but they kept in touch and this was this was an opportunity for them to work together so they'd come to an informal agreement over a series of emails on a variety of things how they were going to work together uh one of the keys was on-site support that my client uh in new jersey would be providing to the california company uh so the new jersey uh my company the new jersey client had agreed to fly out a team of employees to california to sit to assist with on-site support on an as needed basis. Uh, the trouble was who determines what is as needed. Mm. Uh, the California client thought uh, that they naturally as a client determined that and they were expecting on site support three to four days every month. I mean, this came out after Scott, this wasn't, you know, they negotiated so many other points in emails, so many other things that this was seen almost as a throw in provision. They thought they'd gotten all of the important stuff out of the way. Right. So, so when we're focusing on it here on this call, it, it may seem obvious, oh, they really need to be more specific, but they've negotiated, negotiated 
in specificity a host of all other things. So this is one of those things like in any deal that, okay, yeah, we'll figure that out. Oh, you're, you're going to, you're going to provide on-site support as we need it. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's no problem. Um, and basically the deal was done. Now, when we get to this as needed part, the California client, like I said, they're, they're looking for three to four days on site every month. My client thought that as needed, you know, typical with, with other clients they service is at most two days per quarter. They can do most everything, you know, remotely uh, and have remote means. But for the California client, that was insufficient. They thought, no, we actually need people on site to help my people. So that's obviously increased cost to, to send uh, uh, for, for um, my New Jersey client over to California and uh, having the, the people and the manpower to send over there and have them dedicate to this client was going to take them obviously away from other accounts that he needed them on. So, so this turned out to be one of those latent issues that initially didn't seem big, but now is something that if they couldn't get it corrected, uh, potentially uh, could threaten to and make a big dent in the relationship. Um, so, you know, as I was talking, we, we uh, were able to work it out um, and were able to, to come to, to a compromise and agreement and figure something out that worked. But, but this is an example where, again, they had to bring me on kind of at the back end to help to help clean things up, which which was more effort and potentially is something that could have threatened to wreck the deal or, or potentially lead in litigation. Uh, they were they were getting along well enough, so litigation wasn't necessarily on the horizon, but it definitely could have broken off the deal if they couldn't come come to an agreement on it. Um, and it's just one of those one of those things that would have been addressed in a skillfully written agreement at the outset. So that's mm. an example of where emails, hey you know, both very, very, um, you know, very sophisticated uh, CEOs or one would think they both went to business school together. Uh, hey, they should have known to get an agreement together. Well, they thought that, look, we, we know what we're doing well enough and we can, we can hammer this thing out in email and, and avoid some legal fees. Uh, and it turned out uh, potentially costing them more in the end. So, so yeah. So is a written agreement something that should be done at the onset of entering a business relationship? Like, when do you start thinking about it? I know there's all different types of yeah. agreements. So is it really the, the number one thing you should be doing? When do you start thinking about that? Well, anytime you're moving past the initial stages of, of discussion, Scott, uh, you need to be thinking about protecting yourself with a written agreement. So, so when is that? Many times it's after you've, after you've met or engaged and decided you and the other company or you and the other business owner decide, okay, look, this is something that our interests are aligned, what we want to accomplish are aligned. Uh, let's start walking. Let's start talking about the details of getting together and doing business. And a lot of times that that comes in the form of maybe getting an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement or a confidentiality agreement in place. Uh, many times uh, you don't need that if it's not a, a software or intellectual property uh, heavy or, or a tech heavy uh, 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 type of uh, type of engagement. You may not need an NDA and maybe you can go directly to to some type of an engagement agreement with one of you engaging the other services. But um, that that is it's essential uh, to to getting this agreement to get off on 
um, the wrong foot. And, and what I run into from some, some newer business owners is that um, they're worried about slowing down the momentum of the relationship of getting to this business. They're worried about slowing it down with, you know, a contract or, or a lengthy contract. And, and what I always say is, look, uh, getting a contract in place um, and, and doing it in a smooth way, which, uh, which an experienced business attorney can help you do uh, is part of, of, of what good seasoned business people and companies do. The other side, they're going to expect this. Sophisticated business parties, they expect this. So when you have a a written agreement and it falls in lockstep with your engagement process as a company, it says all the right things about you and the company. It, it builds, uh, it says you're sophisticated, that you know your business, that you're serious. It builds credibility um, and shows that you're a serious business owner um, when, when you're, when maybe when you're somebody that's just starting out or maybe, uh, you know, idea I've dealt with a number of startups the last year or so that have, have been operating for years and years in the corporate world, and now they've broken off to go start a business for their, for their own. Maybe it's consulting, maybe it's accounting, maybe it's you know, hey, legal services, uh, architecture, what have you. They've they've broken off from a larger corporate environment where they are actually doing the substantive work, but now they need to start doing uh, uh, focusing on a part that they never had to do being in in the large corporate firm. Um, uh, the dealing with the actual engagement agreement and bringing clients on to be paying clients. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's very important. Um, you typically want to start pretty early in the relationship after you realize that both you and the other side are serious about working together. Do you have to get a lawyer involved to prepare an agreement or can you just go online? You know, there's a bunch of different sites that I'm sure you can print out some sort of generic agreement from. Sure. Yeah, buyer beware. That that's what I'll say to that. So there are uh, there there are forms online. Of course, a lot of them are free. Some of them you you know give a, a login and password, and, and you get some free forms. But but there are a lot of reasons to think twice about that, Scott. So one of the main reasons is: Are you choosing the right form? Uh, you know, business owners uh, and anybody non lawyers can can fail to realize how nuanced the law is. So uh, so let's say you're a business owner uh, and you meet somebody at a local conference or a local chamber of commerce event. You, you strike up discussions with them over the following weeks, and it looks like you two have a lot in common, and, and your goals are aligned, your companies collaborate, collaborate in some way, and, and you guys want to partner together. You're talking about partner together in some form or fashion. So you realize you need a contract, some form of written agreement, and you decide to take it into your own hands. You look online. What do you need? Uh, you see templates. Uh, what do you search for? The partnership agreement. Is that what we need? Um, but then there are other templates for hmm, joint venture. Joint venture sounds kind of like what we're doing. What's the difference between joint venture and a partnership agreement? Um, either of those sounds like they may be what you're looking for, but are they the same? Could you use either? Um, no, they're, they're, they're not the same and there are pros and cons to using each. Uh, and further, even if you decide, okay, yeah, you, after reading about it or spending a morning reading about the difference between partnership and J, uh, joint venture agreements, let's say we want to go with a partnership agreement. Well, there are all different types of partnership agreements and there are critical and significant differences from one partnership agreement to the next. So for example, a partnership agreement, uh, among physicians 
physicians that are going into to private practice together is very different from a private equity par- partnership where you're, you're engaged in investments. Um, yeah, they may have some uh, some of, of some of the boilerplate provisions uh, very you know similar, but a lot of the most important provisions those are going to be widely and drastically different. Now they both may say partnership agreement at the very top of the page, but the actual content is going to be very different. So to the untrained eye, uh, they may look like the type of agreement that you want, but once you get into the actual weeds of the agreement, uh, that that's where the devil's in the details and you really need someone skilled, uh, like a skilled business attorney to really look at and make sure that you're, that you have the right agreement for your deal and that you're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Uh, another thing is, um, that, that dovetails into that, Scott, is that when you're looking at this, these agreements, it's, it's, you don't know what you don't know. So you're looking at a template and, uh, when you're looking at it, is this language more favorable to you or the other side? Or is it neutral? Uh, are you obligating yourself to something unnecessarily? Are the terms in the contract in line with the market? Are they in line with other similar contracts, um, not only in your industry, but even in your specific region? There, there are contracts that are different on the West Coast rather than East Coast. Um, and, and there are contracts that, that are different in different areas of of the US, uh, much less if you're talking about doing business with somebody international or non-US. So these are something that a skilled business attorney can help guide you through and make sure you don't end up in any snares. Uh, for example, if you're dealing with a contract that's that's very industry specific, if you're dealing with something in finance or the banking industry, uh, there, there are required provisions in there that you have to have per the SEC, uh, per FINRA, per federal state and banking laws, uh, that if you don't have them there, they're going to be glaring deficiencies in the contract and could expose both you and the other parties. Uh, if you're in the healthcare industry, whether it be your physician or medical billing or somewhere uh, non-physician, but you're still involved in healthcare, uh, you, you want to watch out for, for HIPAA laws, privacy laws, uh, Stark anti-kickback federal laws, uh, state-specific laws, like for example, in New Jersey, they have the Cody law, all these very specific things that if you don't have those, the specific uh, language addressing um, all those statutory frameworks, uh, there, there could be glaring holes there. Tech industry, uh, you should have uh, specific language regarding copyright laws, trademarks, patents, intellectual property. If you're dealing with real estate contracts, specific provisions in there regarding environmental laws, zoning, municipal. So, so really you get the idea, Scott. I mean, Whatever type of industry we're talking about, um, specific verticals as well, can have very specific language that uh, that really there's no such thing as a one size size fits all template uh, or general. There's there's a lot of websites out there that are offering that, but again, like I said at the beginning, buyer beware. You need to really focus on um, what you need uh, for your business, or rather, have your business attorney focus on that to make sure that you're going in the right direction. Well, speaking of a skilled legal professional, no one better than Len Garza. Uh, where can people go for more information about your practice and the services that you offer, Len? 
Right. So they can go to my website at lgarzalaw.com. That's L-G-A-R-Z-A-L-A-W.com. There it has all my contact information, email address, phone number. Uh, I also have a number of educational articles and videos on there. So if you're a business owner uh, and you're confused, you can go there, have some frequently asked questions. Uh, you can go there and use, uh, hopefully learn from some of my materials. And if you have deeper questions than that, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be more, ha- more than happy to talk to you. Len, thanks so much for your time and the great insight. Thank you, Scott. Once again, we thank Len for the great information. That'll wrap things up for us here on the CG Business Advisor. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And keep an eye out for new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month brought to you by CG Tax Audit and Advisory. Until next time, we'll talk to you right here on the CG Business Advisor.